Good morning. It is good to be here. You know, I, I love that. Well, maybe I should just pause and be like, all the parents who just need this moment right now, because your kids have been at home, it's like. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, that's why I come here, get away from my floor. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, Audrey's still here? She took the baby and go. She took the baby. But I gotta be honest, when she's singing oh, 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 I'm down with it. Because I, I don't know all the other words per se, but it says make a joyful noise to the Lord. And I'm, it doesn't matter what my O oh is saying. It's joyful, and you, you can't hear it because of my mask. So, so you're welcome. And thank you, Audrey, for giving us a bunch of nothingness to sing to Jesus because he interprets it from our joy. So praise God for that. All right. So what my son and I, when we watch TVs, we got shows we watch. We've been through quite a few. You know how they often have this thing here that looks like, I don't know where I'm putting this thing at. see that you see that thing skip intro on the bottom right hand corner when we're watching shows it starts and it's got skip intro you know what i'm saying how many of you guys love the skip intro oh wow well some of y'all are going to turn me off right now because i think that a lot of episodes if you hit skip intro you're missing out on a lot right because they include information from past seasons that, that we might have forgotten um, if we're, we're binging from one episode to the other my son and i can't hit skip intro fast enough, right? People are tracking with me. Oh, I watch too much TV. So do I. But the thing is, that'll often foreshadow what's coming in that particular episode, which is super helpful. So if you don't want to know what's coming, sometimes you want to hit it because you're like, ah, I just want to hear what's going on now. But if you don't, then you're missing out on really what the whole story is. An expository sermon series is the same way. If you hit skip intro... You're just jumping into something, and you don't know exactly what you're jumping into. And so, for those of you who love Skip Intro, you're going to tune me out for about two minutes, but I'm going to hit the intro that's going to foreshadow what's coming in this episode. Amen? Sound good? All right, let me pray. Lord Jesus, before we dive into that intro, before we dive into your word, we need you. We are nothing without you. We, we read this, and it's just a book without you. It's just a letter somebody wrote 2,000 years ago. God, may your spirit speak to our hearts, our minds, and our whole bodies so that we can, we can live like you, be like you, so people can see you in us. And God, so that we can have that joy you promised and you so long for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans 1, 7. Let's see if I can make this work. Yeah. We're 14. I think we skipped one. Uh, Romans 1, 7 just says this. To all in Rome who are loved by God. The intro is saying it's to people in Rome. Cool? Yeah, got it. Oops. He says this, I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. So it's being written to Gentiles and to Jews. These are really the two primary groups who have chosen to follow Jesus at this point. And so it's people who actually are following Jesus. Those, those like you and I. 
This is a key verse, the hinge, well, two verses in the gospel, or in this letter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then the Gentile. You heard that in what Molly read earlier. For the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hold on to that one. That's going to come back later. This is a key key verse, like I mentioned. Pastor Mark nailed this a few weeks ago when he said, the gospel re- reveals God in all his righteousness, including his power. It reveals God. That's what the gospel does. The gospel we know means good news, but it's the story of Jesus. And then Mark wisely gave Dr. Nystrom uh, one of the toughest passages in today's day and age to preach. And... Uh, there it is. Um, this, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them over. That's the phrase I want you to capture. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. I'm going to highlight a paragraph here, but I just want you to see the two first sentences. Verse 26, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. You can keep reading and realize why Mark gave this to Dave. Uh, And then verse 28, it says, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind. So God's allowing them to do what they want to do, because that's what they wanted to do. So God gives them over again and again. And then last episode, you remember, two weeks ago, Pastor Nate, he had a great question, a great statement that still stick with me. Number one, do you point out faults to others to point them out, excuse me, do you point out faults in others to point them out in them or to point them to Jesus? That still hurts. Is it too early in the message to say a tough line like that? Do you point out faults in others to point them out or to point them to Jesus? And then he said, as long as we keep using ourselves as a measuring stick, we will never get better than we are. As long as we keep using ourselves as the standard, the measuring stick, we will never get better than where we are right now. Skip intro, done. (laughs) All right, so now we're on today's episode. And I, I, I love when Mark gives us a passage of scripture that starts with, but... Like, really? We're just going to start with, but. That's why I have to skip intro, or why we couldn't skip intro. There's got to be something before that if it just says, however. So that's what we got to look at. And then the verse before, we look at it, and, and, it, and it says, or. <laughs> really? I can't do anything with or. It, there's an either before that, right? So I'll tell you what the either is, and then we'll read this. The either is, do you think you can escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, think student loans, people like me, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. You're giving yourself wrath through God's wrath, but also through your own stuff when his righteous judgment will be revealed. 
There's a song, a popular song, I think I heard on the radio, I heard it in some churches. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. I don't love the song, but it's in the Bible. And so I'm going to take it as God's word, that his kindness leads us to repentance. When I grew up and I was hearing uh, a gospel preacher was like, you are a horrible person, you are a sinner, and you will go to hell. But Jesus. No, I'm still a sinner. <laughs> I'm still after many years. But he says it's his kindness. And, and remember, from the intro, he's talking to people, Jews and Gentiles, some people who have leaned way into God's grace. He's like, well, God's grace is God's grace. It doesn't matter what, what I do, because God's going to forgive me. So I'm just going to do whatever, and I'm going to count on God's grace. And he's saying, no, 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 That's not how it works. The question is here, what leads you to repentance? Does knowing you can't escape God's judgment, quote, getting the hell scared out of you, unquote, or does knowing his kindness lead you to repentance? Uh, Romans, uh, we'll say this again later in chapter 11, consider the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Provided there's a condition. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. Now, one of the worst descriptors of human, human beings in the English language that's supposed to be somewhat kind is nice. If somebody says, oh, that person, they're, they're nice. It's not exactly the description I would love to have. Like, oh, he's nice. Go to a funeral. Like to share about the person? They were nice. Really? That's all you got? That's all I've given you in my life? I'm nice? I hope I give more. Please tell me I've given more. I did two funerals, my first two funerals, back to back in one week. The first guy I did had no inclination of any Jesus in his past. No church life, no anything. And when people spoke of him at his funeral... He was more like Jesus than a lot of people that I've met, according to what people said. Now, people say nice things when people die, right? But there was something about, like, wow, this guy's pretty interesting. Now, the other guy, I knew, he went to my church. He, he was in church constantly. When I thought of him, I thought of an old grumpy man who was into politics. And uh, he started to show soft, soft sides. I got to know him a little bit more. But when they spoke about him at his funeral, they were like, well, he's... He was nice when, and he was, he was like, oh no, really? Like, this guy was not like Jesus, and he has lots of church in his past. Wow. Now, I think some Christians really struggle to even be considered nice. I'm sorry, and you're welcome. Are you just nice? Are you even nice? See, it's about our faith. It's about our belief. Don't get me wrong. And yet, we think we're going to convince people somehow that our logic is going to drop the mic of salvation on someone's head. They're going to follow Jesus. That doesn't happen. Our logic does not help people follow Jesus. Our kindness, God's kindness in us, leads them to repentance. So we have to be careful. No mic drops on people's heads turn out to be salvation. It just doesn't happen. 
You can follow whatever news pundit you want and, and, and have the, the right answer. But I will say that, that if you want to be right all the time, you may have a spirit of criticism that needs to be purged. Pompous and even hate. Newsflash. Critical spirits don't lead to repentance. And I'd rather have a life that's going to lead to that than a life that's going to be right. Does that make sense? I could be wrong about a lot, but if I lead people to Jesus, I am way more content. I've been married 20 years. I've been wrong a lot. <laughs> so next, next part of this passage, it's really, I, I look at it as a poem. It's like the remote, you know, for the phone. It's not charging. So I look at it as a poem, and there's, there's kind of like this. Um, English people might like this. Math people are going to be like, what are you talking about? Well, you got A, you got B, and you got C. And then you got C, B, A. It's this nice little poem that kind of talks about God, what happens to people who are good, what happens to people when they're bad, what they're doing, to God, what people who are good are doing does say something that they get. And then it talks about what people bad are doing. And then it says what people bad are going to get, what people good are going to get, and then God again. Okay, you got that stanza? I think that's cool. Math people, you might like it because it's formulaic. Yeah, okay, sorry. That was my Ernie nod. Like, what is that? So he says this, and this is the hardest one to deal with. Romans 2.6. Uh, God will repay each person according to what they've done. Now, this sounds the opposite of what we hear in church. Good churches say it's about grace. It's not about what you do. And yet it says God's going to reward people according to what they've done. Remember Jesus when he said, um, what, is it, what, what good is it for man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? The very next verse, Matthew 16, says, For the Son of God is going to come in his Father's glory with angels, and he will reward each person according to what they've done. Wow. That's what this passage in Romans say. Exact same thing. Psalm 62, great psalm at the end. It says, One thing I've heard, God, you are loving and strong. And the second thing I know is that you reward everyone according to what they've done. This is over and over in Scripture. And I think that's probably why church folks over the years got so fixated on doing the right things or not doing the wrong things. Now this is interesting. One Proverbs 24, he says, If you falter in times of trouble, if you can't handle the heat, it's my version, how small is your strength? Get out of the kitchen. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know anything about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Doesn't God know it? Doesn't he who guards your life know? Will he not repay everyone according to what they've done? And lastly, the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I, am the Lord, uh, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I've been memorizing John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Fruit is cool. Fruit is good. Most of the snacks that are junk are based in fruit. Right? The chocolate people, whatever, you know. Like, 
But the, it, it, fruit's good stuff. It's only your faith that makes you righteous. Yet there's an element of accountability that God says. You, are you, when you're accountable to something, it's like you want to do what that is. How we respond matters. Now, this isn't like, hey, everybody's got to be a moralist. you got to do the right thing. But understanding the context of those people who are like, oh, I'm just going to lean on the grace of God. Just the grace. The grace is going to cover me. I can do whatever I want. No, 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 uh, One scholar says, immediately, the context, Paul was not teaching how we're made right with God. So he's not talking about how you're made right with God, but how God judges the reality of our faith. See, faith is not an abstract quality. Like, I have faith. In what? It's not this abstract thing that can be validated by some spiritual test. It's like, well, do you know these things? That doesn't mean anything. I mean, it does, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have faith. God judges faith by the difference it makes in how a person actually lives. That's what one scholar says. Even scholars can understand that there's real good truth in that. A.M. Hunter's another guy. He says, a man's destiny on judgment day will not depend on whether he has known God's will but whether he has done it. Later in Romans, it even says, so that each of us will give an account to, of ourselves to God. There's accountability. So, the good news, the reward, at least the good people, this is B, to those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. So what are the good doing? They're seeking glory, honor, and immortality. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he, will, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. When he was talking to Nicodemus about that, I think he was saying, it starts now. It starts now. So we, we keep thinking that there's like some dotted line where eternal life's going to start. It started when Jesus came. He came to bring the kingdom of God. He came to bring eternal life. And he's saying to those who, by persistence, by doing, oh, who's, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he's going to give them eternal life right now. Verse 8, but those who are self-seeking, now we're on the sea, and who reject, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. We already read this right above, similarly. It's God's wrath revisited from the intro in verse 18. Self-seeking. You don't work best for yourself. It doesn't work best for yourself. If you are self-seeking, unfortunately, somebody's going to seek you out. I mean, that's just the reality. You know, it's funny. Zoom has had these, uh, these problems with people. But let me back up. Zoom has uh, created a new market. Get this. In the pandemic, one of the best industries was the makeup industry. Because we all see ourselves on the screen. There's the hide self button that we don't like to hit because we're looking at ourselves, making sure we're, wait, is it on mirror? Does it go this way? This way? I can't know. I spend like five hours a day on Zoom and I've learned I gotta put the person's face who's talking. I've got double screen. I put the person's face who's talking right over where the camera is. And literally with a double screen, that means like I got their eyes above and their mouth below. Because I wanna focus on them. Hide self view, I don't do because. Frankly, with this kind of hair, I can Come on. My wife said, you look like that. I said, we haven't cut it, honey. Anyway, self-seeking. Self-seeking. And they reject the truth. If you reject the truth, that means you're accepting a lie. 
So the result, tribulation and distress. Verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then the Gentile. And then it keeps, and then it backs up to the good. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then the Gentile. There's something about just doing good. When you do good, that gives glory and honor. Even if it doesn't bring prosperity. When you do good and what's right in the sight of God, glory and honor come. And it might be just for you and nobody else. But there's something about that. It doesn't have to be riches. But it has to do with just following God and knowing you're walking in his will. Romans 2.11, last one. For God does not show favoritism. And this goes two ways, right? He's talking about Jews and, and Greeks. It's just kind of an order. Why? Because he's writing to Jews, probably Jews first, who think they're all having a bag of chips, and then Gentiles, who are like, hey, we're just glad to be hanging along. We'll count on the grace. And so God shows no favoritism. It's just like, I love you both. But I hold you both to the same standard, too. It's accountability. So we see that accountability. We see the good. We see the bad. We see what happens. We see the good and, and the grace and the glory. And then we see God's accountable. So this whole little section here, while you might have been reading it going, oh boy, what are we going to talk about here? This is a weird passage. That's why Mark gave it to me. Because <laughs> I'm weird. So this last section really is about obedience. And I say it's obedience because it talks a lot about the law. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will all also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Huh? I mean, that's a lot of law. The law is used 76 times in Romans. This is the first time it's used. The next four verses, it will be used 11 times. La, 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 la. What are they talking about? They're talking about probably the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, where there's a lot of instruction and a lot of stuff. A lot of these Jews thought that just knowing or having the law meant that they were saved. I know it, so I'm saved. But what is he saying here? It's not about knowing See, verse 13, for it's not those who hear the law who are righteous, but those who obey the law who are righteous. It's not about knowing. It's not about coming to church. It's not about, about doing the right things or not doing the right things. It's about obedience. Now, obedience compels us to do right things and, bad, right, and wrong things, but obedience causes us to do some pretty nutso stuff. Let me just tell you. Nuts. And, and when we're following the law, or the word of God, that indicates who we are as people. James 1.22, don't merely listen to the word, and so, check this out, deceive yourselves. Deceive is, is, is lying, right? Don't deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what the word says. A lot of works here. We're all about grace. Mark, Mark shared, my daughter's name, Karis, is the Greek word for grace. That's, that's one of my daughter's middle names. Leviticus talks about it, Old Testament. person who obeys will live by the laws. I'm the Lord. And then Romans again in, in chapter 10. Moses writes this about righteousness, that it is by the law. Righteousness is by the law. The person who does these things 
will live by them. Again, there's an emphasis on accountability, which isn't works, but obedience. Do you understand that? I don't want you all leaving here going like, oh, i got to follow the law. No, you need to obey the living God. And that's important. Obedience, I believe, is the heart, the key to following God. Pastor friend, and I shared this with a class once, and I a pastor friend of mine told me years ago, he said, you know, if I give 100% of my effort to God, but he's only calling me to give 80, and I know he wants me to pull back so I can spend time with my family or something like that, even though I'm giving all my time as a pastor to God, I'm disobeying. And it's worse if you disobey than it is that you give 100%. The way I grew up with work ethic, oh my goodness, you gave 110% always. And I always thought that's why I had success in life. But the reality is, how am I obeying? This morning I'm reading the devotional, my most first highest, and literally it says, there must be communion with his, Jesus' risen life, before a particular word can be born by us. So in other words, we have to spend time with God before we can have a word born in us. Now, I will say God can speak even if you're far away from God. He can just, you know, impact us. But one of the things I've learned in 2020 is that when you spend time with God, you give space for him to hear, and you give opportunity to share with him. So my wife and I used our commute times, and we got up early, and I'd do my quiet time. She'd do her quiet time just reading, and then we would talk. And I cannot tell you how much talking with her and talking with God and listening changed our lives. First thing that happened was, I just was burdened. A buddy of mine said, hey, you know what? This was April last year, around this time. CPS calls are down 70% from March to April. Child Protective Services. Why? Because children are sitting at home getting beat, and there's no mandated reporters to tell someone blew me away. And this was a buddy of mine, John, who shared that with me. And over the next three months, I just go, God, I don't want to give up my prime years. My kids are about to leave home. I don't want to do this. And I kept fighting it, and I still kind of fight it. But I told my wife, she's been wanting to do it for years, we need to do foster care. This was about June. I think it was right after the George, George Floyd uh, it's, uh, killing and so I, I was like, what am I doing? And that same three-day span, I said, I need to go to City Church. I just need to go to City Church. I don't know why, but God's calling me to go here. I wish I could say it's because I was doing something. I don't think it was me doing something as much as allowing God to do something. When we create that space for God, crazy things happen. Crazy things happen. Four months later, my wife, who's got a consistent job, sitting there in the morning, I think I need to start my own private practice. She's a mental health therapist for kids who are in trauma. And I'm like, you know, you have a consistent income. <laughs> we're barely making it. Even if Trump or Uncle Joe are sending money, we're still barely making it, honey. <laughs> and so she quit her job right before Christmas and started a private practice. We had started the foster care process, and you know what happened? I was having a horrible day, a horrible day. It was the day four years prior where my brother had died, and it was tragic. 
And I was writing out these losses. A friend of mine got died of a stroke the month before. Two weeks, or the week prior, a friend of mine got laid off from my work, and it's just heartbreaking for me. I was making a list of all of my losses in a chart. I still have it. It's in my bag there. And I get a call. I'm like, hey, we got a little girl. She's four. She's home. Uh, will you guys take her? So I hold on a second. I go to my wife, who was doing her private practice in our bedroom on telehealth. And I'm like, uh, I can't interrupt that HIPAA violation. All right, so I go back, and I'm like, she tells me the situation. It was sad. I said, yeah, sure. She said, okay, well, she'll be there in two hours. So I go, hey, girls, we're going to get a girl here in the next two hours. And this was our first. And they're like, what's going on? And we've got these bunk beds we've made and all that kind of stuff. So they're excited because a four-year-old girl is cute. And for 14-year-old girls, it's kind of cool to get to play mommy. And so I'm like, whoa. Uh, my wife gets off the phone. She goes, what's her name? I don't know. What's her race? I don't know. What's her family situation? Uh, she's got a mom, but mom's not able to keep her. I mean, I knew nothing, right? So after that, I had to get a list of all the questions I'm supposed to ask when people call because I knew nothing. Even now, people, social workers call me like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, can I three-way with my wife? Just hold on a second. You think I'm joking. This has happened multiple times. Clueless. But what I do know is that the day we said yes, it was an obedience thing. My wife doubled, almost doubled. She had 12 clients. She went up to 20 in five days. Now, I don't believe in karma, but I do think in obedience got rewards. I do think in obedience God does something. And I can testify that I've obeyed a lot of things. And I've had some really bad things happen, even in the obedience. But I can testify, too, that God does some great stuff if we give him the space to hear what he's calling us to obey. Romans 2. Uh, this is weird. It's a parenthesis. It says, when Gentiles who don't have the law, so Gentiles don't have this law thing. They do, by nature, things required by the law. They're a law for themselves, even though they don't have a law. They show the requirements of the law written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and other times even defending them. Consciousness goes back to chapter 1. They know what's right, but what? God gave them up and said, you know, do what you want. God gave them up. Gentile doesn't have the law revealed in the Old Testament, but the conduct he shows or she shows lets them know they know right from wrong. It's like when you know you shouldn't do something. You're guilty. You know who does this really well? My dog. Like, you can tell if my dog's done something wrong because she's walking around the house like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? She already did it, and she's walking by me, and I'm like, oh, what'd you do? Right? Anybody else not? Cats don't do that. They're like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> if they're loyal to the good, it says of Gentiles, they're loyal to the good that they know. They will be acceptable to God. But it's a very big if. Very big if. And, and the, the, the action of following the law, again, isn't some test. It's not. It's very subjective. Only you know. Sometimes it's a community. We know together. Fasting, prayer comes together in that. So we look at the last verse. Last verse. This will take place on the day 
when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Secrets. Who are you when no one is watching? Can I look at your browser history? Can I look at your banking account? Where that money's gone? Can I look at the time you've spent? Maybe your calendar? Can I look at your text messages, your posts? Now some of that's public, but Jesus says this stuff's going to be, Paul says this stuff's going to be, it's going to be revealed basically. In today's day and age, we have so much information, and we've given so much information, whether it's the government or Amazon. We, we think we're secure because, like, there's a little lock at the bottom of a website, but the reality is there's no secrets. If big business knows what you need on Amazon before you even know you need it, don't you think a God is a little step ahead of them? God knows what you need. And I do believe he shows it if we open our eyes and see both in his word and prayer and being in fellowship with one another. We can't hide. And yet it's amazing that we think we can. We're more amazed by Amazon knowing our stuff than we are by God knowing us inside and out. That he knows our name as it was sung beautifully. So, you can't hide. Why? But why do we think we can? Because we justify ourselves constantly. As if we can argue with ourselves to convince ourselves that we can hide from God. What? That makes no sense that we do. But we do. We, we argue with ourselves to convince ourselves oh, God won't see. God won't see. It's all right. Just once. And that's what this whole grace thing's about, right? He's saying, hey, yeah, you've got grace. But God's going to reward me based on what you do. Again, I hate that because it's this tension of, oh, okay, well, you have to do, 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 do. Well, you do, but you, at the same time, it's, it's grace. This is what the text is saying today. We'll definitely encounter some others. <clears throat> we talk about justifying ourselves. Justice is the key, right? Justice is often termed in Romans, at least in this translation, made righteous. So if you're justified, you are made righteous. What is righteous? You're, you know, the, the lady justice has the scales, right? So, so we are, you know, sinner, sinner, sinner. And God says, I'm going to bring it up. We are justified so we're even. Those scales are even. Once a commentator says, Paul in this entire uh, section, he says clearly, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. No one's going to be declared righteous by observing the law. Only God can make us righteous. But it is an evidence of our heart. It is an evidence of our heart, the obedience is. So there's probably some people in here um, that obedience comes from guilt, fear, uh, or, or you've convinced ourselves. But the reality is, Jesus has made us righteous through his life, his death, the resurrection we celebrated last night and do again today. It's his love and his kindness that leads us to repentance. You've got repentance, you've got obedience, you've got this whole made righteous thing, my God, the justice aspect. I'm going to make a guess and say there's, there's two groups of, there's, there's a number of groups of people here, but I would guess there's two groups in particular that, that God might be speaking to. And so the first group are probably some folks who've, who 
never actually allow Jesus to make you righteous because the reality is you've been trying to do it. You've been pushing the scales down and saying, oh, if I do this, I'll be... When the reality is Jesus is the only one who can make you righteous. There's a group where you haven't allowed Jesus to do it because you've been trying so hard. Let me give you good news. You can't do it. Only God can make you righteous, and he does it through the blood of Jesus. God can level you. You can't earn it. If that's you, I'm going to ask a bold question. You've never allowed Jesus to, 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 to make you righteous, justify those scales, and make you someone who can be his fully. Honestly, there's no better day than today to say, you know what? I want to be made righteous by Jesus. I've seen a lot of churches where they like every eye closed and head bowed and, you know, it's like maybe somebody came to Jesus and the pastor's like, I see that hand and I see that hand and you're like, oh, I wonder who it is. <laughs> if you've never been to church before, you're like, I don't know. I want to say, if you've never said, Jesus, I want you to make me righteous, I'm going to ask you with all eyes open, <laughs> all heads up, I want to ask you to stand. Say, I want to commit to Jesus for the first time. done this a number of times and no one stands up and you know what, that's totally cool. It's totally awesome. I do think there's another group in here though that um, you've been correcting Lady Justice if you will and you've been pushing scales down because you know what's right and you haven't allowed God to do what's right. You aren't nice. <laughs> You're anything but kind and being right is greater than being made righteous. If you're always right all the time, just think about it. That might not be good. Oh no, I'm right. I mm -hmm. Maybe. And I believe that there needs to be repentance in that. You are made righteous, but you're not nice. So stop. <laughs> Allow Jesus to set the scale and go back to simply just giving God time for you to hear his voice and obey. That's you. I'm going to ask you to stand so we can pray for you. If you're saying, you know what, I need a reset because God has just been moving my heart and I'm just so convinced that I'm right. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand. God's moving in hearts right now. Maybe not in legs, but he's moving in hearts. And that's something that I want you to hear the Spirit and obey. And if God's moving in any way, please talk to, talk to somebody who stood up here today because they've got answers to give you hope. And they know somebody who could make you righteous, even if they don't know everything that's right. Will you uh, join me in thanking God for his word? Uh, with a little whoop and clap as pastor comes up to close our time together. Yeah.